Well, go ahead and take your Bibles and uh, open up to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There should be one in the pew in front of you. And if you grab that Bible, it should be on page 678. 678. You can find that and follow along with us. I encourage you, be sure you have a copy of God's Word. And uh, the reason I encourage you to do that is because uh, I want you to be able to check me, okay? I want you to be able to verify and determine that I'm not just getting up here and saying what I feel like saying to you, but rather that I am speaking to you clearly, directly from what God's Word says. Uh, because, let's all face it, you don't really care about my opinion, all right? And if you do, then you should just talk to me personally, okay? This isn't a place for my opinion. Uh, this is a place for the Word of God to be elevated and for that to be what we hold to, amen? And so uh, I, I like to revisit this measure of accountability often with you all so that you are aware that I, uh, I want to consistently be in an accountability relationship to you as the church body, as you read scripture and as you look at what the text says, if you see me or hear me say something that is contrary to that, you have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to call me out, okay? Now, I would not recommend calling me out in the middle of Sunday. That causes confusion, okay? But I always, always, always welcome anyone who comes to me and says, I'm not sure I understand this or I'm not sure I see this clearly. I always want to have that accountability relationship with you as a church. That's what we're here for. We're here together to grow in our understanding and learn from what God has said, not what Pastor Matt would say, okay? What God would say, all right? I'm going to have you repeat that with me on the count of three. We're going to say what God would say, one, two, three. Okay, and that's going to be our prayer this morning. And uh, today... If you get nothing else out of this message today, I want you to grasp this main idea this morning. Okay? So if you remember nothing else at all, I want you to remember this. Write it down. Take a picture of it on your phone. Memorize it. I don't care. I want you to, I want you to remember this. And that is simply that God's holiness reveals my need for help. God's holiness reveals my need for help. And this is, we're going to, that's not the entirety of the message, okay? I'm not just going to mic drop and walk away, all right? We're going to get into this and talk about it. I want you to see clearly where this is revealed in the text of Scripture. Again, not, not what I say, but what God would say this morning. And the book of Isaiah as a whole, I always like to give you just a brief overview of this so that we're all on the same page, not only literally on the same page, but also in our understanding. Isaiah is known as one of the major prophets in Scripture. Everyone say major. Now, that does not mean that somehow the other prophets were minor, okay? They, they were not minor. In fact, each one of them was equipped and called by God to deliver a message directly. Now, some of you may be sitting here and wondering, what is a prophet? Okay, I'm going to have you ask that question directly to me in, on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm so glad you asked. So, a prophet is simply this. A prophet is someone that we see primarily throughout the Old Testament who received a direct oracle, a direct communication from God and was tasked with communicating whatever that word said to the people. 
And we see this largely throughout the Old Testament in books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, Amos, Malachi. Okay, you can go through all this list and see these men who were credentialed and called by God specifically to speak a word directly from the Lord. Now, some of you may have encountered times where you maybe encountered a a different belief system or a frame of thought where people have talked about prophets since this time. And what I would encourage you to do is, if you've ever wrestled with that and wondered why maybe we, as the Ephraim Church of Canton, don't believe that prophets exist past the point of Scripture, read Hebrews 1. And in Hebrews 1... It's the author of Hebrews simply says this, In the past, God spoke through the prophets and oracles, but now he has chosen to speak through his son, Jesus. Okay? And so based in that, I read that passage in Hebrews 1 and I go, all that is revealing is that God has chosen to reveal himself in all reality a much more personal way through his son, through Jesus, so that we can understand not only who God is, but who God has called us to be. Okay? So Isaiah is one of these prophets, and he's specifically prophesying to the nation of Israel. So when you read the book of Isaiah, understand that Isaiah is speaking to what Scripture would identify as God's chosen people. He's not just speaking openly to everyone in the future all over the world. He's speaking directly to the specific issues that are happening within the nation of Israel. Now, that does not mean that there is not application for us today. Some people look at that and they go, well, he was speaking to this group of people, so how is that supposed to be applicable to me at all? And that is the beauty of what Hebrews 4 reveals to us about the Bible, that it's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul. It, it, it equips us, it challenges us, and in this case, reveals to us much about God's character and who He is. Now, if you're just joining us for the first week, we've been going through a series of talks entitled, God Is. And so every week we've been looking at an aspect of God's character, an aspect of who He is, and seeking to understand it based on how God has revealed that to us, not what we have in our head. Okay? And that's all rooted in the concept that if I take the, the God of the Bible and I make Him my own, then I'm no longer really understanding or worshiping the God of the Bible. I'm worshiping the God I've created or put in my own little box. And so the desire, the goal of this series is to equip us with a knowledge of who has God revealed Himself to be. In his word. Okay? So this morning, Isaiah chapter 6, and what I'm going to have us do this morning is I'm going to have us stand as we read this passage. I'm going to read it, we're going to pray, and then you can be seated again. So go ahead and stand with me. We're going to do this in honor of God's word and in the viewpoint that we elevate the word of God above any, uh, any person um, that we, we understand this is God's message to his people, and we're going to do that uh, in respect to the words in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, 
and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Father, may you open our eyes to understand, to the best of our ability, the depth of your holiness. And God, may we, in light of that, see our desperate need for so much more than ourselves. Reveal that to us from your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, a couple things I want to touch on here as we look at this text. The first thing that you'll notice is that uh, Isaiah chapter 6 starts off with a really random statement. In the year that King Isaiah died... I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. So we understand this is a vision that Isaiah is having. And the marking of King Isaiah's death allows for a specific dating of sorts, at least to estimation of when Isaiah was called to ministry. And so approximately, they say around 740 B.C. would have been when this uh, would have uh, taken place. And Isaiah, we, they often recognize that this in Isaiah 6 is the affirmation or the uh, credentialing of Isaiah as someone who could speak as a prophet. Because the reality was, just as in our current day and age, there are false teachers and false prophets. And so many people, when someone would come and say, I've got a word from the Lord, they're going, how do we know it's actually a word from the Lord and not just a word from you and your own agenda? Now, within that, I would challenge you in our current day and age with the falsehood of so many things, you need to, and according to 1 John, we're actually expected to test everything according to truth before we determine, is this for real? Just because it sounds good or it may be entertaining or it may further my ideas of what I would like to hear does not mean that it is true, okay? So, check your sources. I can't tell you the number of times I have people I love dearly who are phenomenal people who share stuff, usually on social media, that is not true. And I will encourage you in this, if we are saying we are people of the truth and don't live as people of truth, then we discredit the truth. Okay? So, Make that a practical discipline. Be very leery of what you share and what you speak as genuine truth because there's a lot of falsehood out there. And what I want you to understand is in Isaiah 6, this is credentialing for us to be able to say, okay, this is not just another guy. This is not just some random person speaking their own will or their own words. Because I guarantee you, if we were to read this and say, yeah, Isaiah made this up, it would look very differently from a human perspective than it does from the biblical perspective. 
You see then this description of God taking place in this vision. He's sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Now that word is actually what we call a transliteration, which is a Hebrew term for seraph. And some of your translations may say seraph instead of seraphim. And what I want you to understand simply is that if you were to translate this directly, it's, it's translated burning ones. Literally, the burning ones are, are standing there. So when you picture that, don't add to the description, just picture what's there. The seraph or the burning ones, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. That's speaking of the burning ones that is being described here. Okay? And then in the midst of this, they call out to each other. This seraph speaks to another. It says in one call to another in verse 3, and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, as, as you read that, it should be clear to us when we read something that's repeated three times. If they say, holy, 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 the response should be, what is God? The answer will be, what? Holy. Everyone say, holy. Now, as I was thinking about a way to illustrate this, I'm curious, and maybe it's just me. Have you ever done a physical labor job that when you got done, you're just covered from head to toe. You're just dirty. Has anyone ever experienced that before? Okay, I'm thankful that you have experienced that. I remember very clearly there was one time on the farm that uh, we have a a scale, a drive-over scale at the main base of the farm, and it sits about four feet from the bottom of that pit up to the top. But as time goes on, mud and junk and all kinds of stuff falls into that crevice and builds up in the bottom of that scale pit. And so every so often, not very often, but every so often, someone gets the wonderful job of going underneath that pit and scooping all of it out into a bucket and then clearing it out, okay? I had this wonderful job when I was in high school one year. And... There's actually a picture somewhere, I believe it's somewhere on social media, of me standing outside this pit after doing this job, and I am just covered. It was raining, there was mud everywhere, and I'm just standing there like, I can't believe you're taking a picture of me right now. And in that moment, I wasn't simply messy or dirty, and you could probably even say, he wasn't really even just pretty dirty, he was dirty, dirty, dirty. Covered completely, overfilled, like the type when you come home, your wife says, whoa, whoa, stop, go back in the garage, take your clothes off, and then put them in this, this trash bag and then transport them to the laundry room, okay? Some of you have experienced that before. And the idea is the same here. Not that, it is ju- not that God is merely just holy. God is holy. And not even holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy indicates a completeness, a fullness of this that goes beyond comprehension in our minds. Now, there's another example of this in Scripture in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm going to show it up here. Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 27. 
And in this, this is a kind of a scary prophetic utterance. And it's speaking directly to Jerusalem and their, their throne, the, the kingship in, in Israel. And says specifically, a ruin, 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 I will make it. What do you think he's going to make it? A ruin. And not just a little bit of a ruin. Not just that side of ruin, but the whole thing. Everything about it. And the cool thing about this passage in Ezekiel is it's really prophetic in a way that it, it is what we would identify as one of the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament in which God says, this also shall not be until he comes, the one whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. And if we start reading through in the book of Revelation and some of the New Testament, we start seeing that Jesus is described as this person whom God gives that authority to and who we anticipate will return to establish his kingdom on earth. So what I want you to grasp in this is that in this vision, as the seraph, the burning ones, are there, they speak to each other and indicate this about God. Holy, holy, holy. It's a completeness, a wholeness, a fullness. But there stands in the midst of this, what does it mean to be holy? And I'm going to have you ask that question to me on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for asking that question. I'm so glad you asked. To be holy literally means to be set apart, distinct, separated from. And it's the same terminology that's used when Jesus says, be holy as I am holy. The same logic that follows that God desires for himself a people that are set apart, not a group of people that look like the rest of the world. And Paul identifies this throughout his epistles, throughout the letters that he wrote, where he talks about, this. You, you were once this way, but now you have become something different in Christ, so act like it, live like it. And in the midst of our context referring specifically to God, we understand if God is holy, 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 then he is set apart, he's distinct, he's separated from, even in this case, creation. And evil. That he stands far above any of that. Another way to define what does it look like to be holy would be possessing moral perfection. To be completely holy. And I'm just going to uh, clue you in here. We, as human beings, have no idea what it would look like To be holy, holy, holy. The only glimpse we have of that is who God has revealed himself to be in scripture. And we're going to discover that even more as we continue on here. Now, this is not the only place God is referred to as holy in scripture. In fact, there's a couple other scripture passages I just want to reference. One is in Exodus 15 and the other is in 1 Samuel 2. Exodus 15:11 says, "Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods?" Now, I always like to clarify this. Exodus 15 is not saying that there are other valid gods. Rather, it's identifying specifically in the book of Exodus in which the people were held in captivity in the land of Egypt that the Egyptians worshiped all these other false gods. And so in recognition of that, this is in contrast to the culture at large and what was being seen 
that who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? See that distinction there? Awesome in glorious deeds, doing, doing wonders. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it says, There is none holy like you, like the Lord. Now, that doesn't leave a lot of room for questioning, does it? There is how many holy? None holy like the Lord. There is none other that is holy like Him. Set apart, distinct. For there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. I love that passage. And we see that separation even further when we look at our own lives. If we go to passages like Romans chapter 3, where it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that we are not holy. We're not holy, holy. Definitely not holy, holy, holy. Not even close. There is none righteous. Just like in 1 Samuel 2, there is none holy like the Lord. In the same way, right here and now, amongst you and me, there is how many righteous? None. We have to say a lot more confident. We've got to know this, church. How many is there that are righteous? None. And then the hope. The hope in the midst of this. And you can kind of see where our big idea is coming from. God's holiness reveals our need for help. If there's none righteous and God is set apart and holy, that means God cannot allow anything that is unholy in His presence or by default, He becomes unholy. You, do you grasp that? If I had a pitcher of water and I poured something into that pitcher, another liquid in the midst of that pitcher, is that which was clear water pure and clear any longer? Yes or no? No, it's not. It's tainted. It's been tainted by that. That's what happened in Genesis when sin entered the world. And so mankind being able to walk with God, dwell with God in the garden, is all of a sudden there's separation there. And so God being holy, 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 is separated in that. R.C. Sproul quoted about the holiness of God in, in his book, The Holiness of God. He said this, Only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that He is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that He is holy, holy, holy. Do we comprehend that? Now, this furthers, church, this furthers the danger of creating God in our image rather than recognizing that He created us in His. As soon as we allow our own idea of God to become who He is, He is no longer holy or set apart. You grasp that? As soon as who we think God is becomes our own construction of that, then by default, if I am not holy, then He is no longer holy. The God I've created in my mind is no longer holy. 
which brings out the importance in the midst of this that we see God not as created in our image, but we see ourselves created in His and that He is holy, 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 that He's set apart and that in the midst of that, His holiness creates in me a longing and a need that cannot be found in any other place. It cannot be filled in any other place. Now, I want you to look here at how each thing responded to this statement, holy, holy, holy. Notice that the seraph have covered themselves. They've covered their eyes. They've covered their feet as they're in His presence. When this is said, verse 4, it says, the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So if anyone ever uh, wanted to find biblical justification for the use of a smoke machine, Isaiah 6 is your place. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay? The seraph responds. The environment responds. Isaiah responds. Get this. Woe is me. This is verse 5. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. This is not a unique response as we look throughout the rest of Scripture. Anytime someone comes face to face with the presence, just the mere presence of God, they're on their face. And I think we would be wise to consider whether or not we would anticipate being on our face in the presence of God or if we're convinced we're going to stand. Because it says a lot about how we view the God of the universe, this holy, holy, holy God. Isaiah recognizes his unworthiness to look upon the king and godly fear exudes out of him. So, I want to ask this question to you this morning. What is our response in the face of the only true, completely holy God? What is our response when we consider that God is not merely holy or holy holy, but in all completeness, fullness, everything He is, He is holy. Now, I want you to consider this. When we act in pride, we say something about how we respond to God. When we act in selfishness, we say something about how we respond to God. When we act in defiance to the biblical commands and truths, we say something about our understanding of who God is. When we fail to worship on a daily basis, it, we say something about who we understand God to be. This isn't an easy question to answer. And I'm going to be honest with you and transparent with you because I trust you. Okay? I have struggled with this all week long. This concept of seeking to be who God has called us to be as followers of Jesus and to see Him in a holy light is not an easy thing. 
And there have been so many days this week where I've been frustrated with God or frustrated with life. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. Okay? This is not something that just comes, it just happens. But where we, where we run aground, where we fall short is when we're convinced that that's how it should be. And so then when I face hard times, when I'm challenged, when I struggle, when things don't go the way I planned, it impacts and totally changes the course of who I see God to be. And I could tell you just yesterday, just yesterday was a terrible day. It's a terrible day for me. And I wrestled with this. I'm going, God, you are holy. You've called me to be holy. And external circumstances have made me act not holy. And yet, those circumstances are not responsible for my choices, are they? And so I share that with you because as we come, sometimes we can have a false idea of the person who's standing up here speaking. I am with every one of you in the trials and challenges of life and just seeking to do this God's way. And so if that is you and you read this and you go, I am not responding well as I consider God's holiness, welcome to the team. But let's not stay there. Let's not sit there. And say, well, I'm not glorifying God. I don't see God as holy in my actions or my responses. So I guess that's just who I am. No! You are not. God's called us to so much more. And so if you're struggling with a bad attitude, man, let's stop and consider the holiness of God. If you're struggling in the face of an intense trial or challenge, let's stop together and consider the holiness of God. If you are in the midst of a season of grief, let's stop together and consider the holiness of God. We are in this for the same reasons, at least I pray we are. And those, those reasons should be as we look at the holiness of God, we all the more understand how desperately we need Him because we're incapable of this on our own. Now, as we think about this, I want practically to give us some, some areas to think about and ways that we unintentionally, I believe, distort God's holiness. Okay? So that way, if you're sitting here going, I don't really know what this even looks like, I just want to give you three examples. The first way that I believe we unintentionally, and understand this, I say unintentionally, that may not be true for everyone, but I really believe for most of us, this is the case. We unintentionally do this because we don't stop and consider the holiness of God. The first one of those is a term I call unconditional acceptance. And here's what I mean by that, okay? Our culture is all about this term. And I want to clarify that this term is absolutely true when we're talking about the gospel. When we're talking about the ability of Jesus' death to pay for any and all sins, no matter where you've come from, no matter where you are, Jesus is enough. But we take this to a whole other extreme. And we distort God's holiness in the process. Namely, what we do is we say, we unconditionally accept 
you and therefore we speak a message that says God will unconditionally accept every part of who you are. That is a biblical lie. Because we just identified that God is holy, 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 and we are not. Which means by nature there is something in us that God cannot accept. He cannot. And in fact, if you want examples of this, in Genesis chapter 4, God did not accept Cain's sacrifice, his offering of worship. He didn't accept it. In Malachi chapter 1, God did not accept the offerings of the people. Matthew chapter 7 reveals that there will be people on the day of judgment that God will not welcome into his kingdom. A message of unconditional acceptance is not biblical. Now, we take this to the other side of the extreme and we go, well fine, if unconditional acceptance is not biblical, I'm just going to be mean to everyone. No! Because in the midst of this, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And the second like it is what? Love your neighbor. But understand this, the greatest thing we can understand when we step into a community that desperately needs the gospel, just like us, is to understand that we're all going to stand before God in judgment someday. Holy, holy, holy God. And anyone who is not sealed by the Spirit through Christ will not be accepted. That should scare us with a godly fear and a look of saying, Lord God, may I continue to glorify and honor your name and be true to who you are, not who I've made you to be. A second way that we unintentionally distort God's holiness is a distorted view of accountability. This is a term you'll hear thrown around in the church a lot. I used it this morning, okay? And here's what I mean by this. If accountability simply becomes your accountability to another person without understanding that I am ultimately accountable to God, then we distort God's holiness. In any accountability relationship I'm in, it should be with an understanding that the person I'm accountable to is just as sinful as me. Therefore, ultimately, when I gather with other believers, it should be out of an understanding that I am accountable to holy, holy, holy God for everything I do. And when we diminish that or minimize that to to check a box and say, yeah, I met and I had accountability meeting, but fail to make the needed changes in our life to say I am accountable to God most high. We distort God's holiness in the midst of The third way that we unintentionally distort God's holiness is that we minimize the gospel. And this comes full circle to our main idea this morning. God's holiness should reveal my need for help. That is not just a help that I need when I decide to follow Jesus. That's a help that I need every single day. My day yesterday revealed that I desperately need a Savior. Every single day. Every single one of us 
needs the gospel today and tomorrow and the next day. Why? Because we are unholy people before a holy, holy, holy God. Now, as we consider this, I'm going to have the worship team come up here, but this is what we're going to do. We've got two songs to close with. And this first one, I don't want you to to focus on singing the words. If you feel like you want to do that, praise the Lord. But here's, here's what I want us to do. Right now, you are... You are, at least I pray, that you are wrestling with how do I respond to God's holiness? How do I? How do I respond? What is it in in your life right now that is keeping you from having the same response Isaiah had? And the seraph come, they cleanse him. They purify what's taking place. And then right after that, is where God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, send me. The goal of Sunday, the goal of this day, is to send you. Not to check a box. And so, during this first song, as we, you're just going to hear the words in this song, you are holy, holy, Holy Lord Most High, Lord Most Worthy. And I want you to respond accordingly based on where you're at right now. Some of you are living in intentional sin and you know it. You know it. And a scripture passage like this where Isaiah is saying, Woe is me, your response needs to be, Woe is me. I am an unholy man in the presence of an unholy God. Some of you are living in intentional sin and you don't know it. You're living in sin and you don't know it. And maybe this is an opportunity for that to come to light. Some of you are just stagnant. I get there. I have days like that. Sometimes weeks like that, okay? But when we see clearly who God is, God is holy, it should cause us to go, I'm not, I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm going to move forward. And some of you here don't believe at all. What is this that you're talking about? And it's simply this. God's holiness demands that we be holy and we're not. And so if we're not holy, then we cannot stand before God. And God knew this. So He sent His Son. So that we could be sealed through Christ. The price could be paid. And that doesn't mean that somehow I stop being human. Rather, it means that I have a confidence that's not rooted in myself. Because I already see that I can't depend on myself. I fail. And God loved the world so much, He sent His Son to die and rise again to show that we can have life in Christ, but in Christ alone. And maybe that's where you need to respond today.
So, as we sing this song, I want you to take the posture that you need to take. Some of you may need to be like Isaiah. Woe is me and you are going to be on your knees. Praise the Lord. If that's not you, that's okay. We're not telling you you all have to do that. But what I am asking is that corporately as a church, that we would respond to this. That we would respond out of a need, a need for help that is founded in God's holiness. Father, may we reflect now and may you be the focus of our attention and our time. Lord, we see you as you've revealed yourself holy, holy, holy. So Lord, help us to react and respond according to the situations we're in, what we're dealing with, what we're going through. And we would respond to you your prophet in Jesus' name.